Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is Esposo de la Pastora, Dan Marso. Hello. Hamburguesa. Mr. President. Hamburguesa. Hamburguesa? Hamburguesa. Hamburguesa. Day camp band leader, Scott Ooh, Reed. yeah. Not true. Among other things. And associate <laughs> pastor, marathon addict, Bill Calvin. Don't forget the donuts. They're here, too. And a pile of donuts. <laughs> now, D- Bill, you're in your, your running gear. Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you think Bill runs in a polo? I'm not going to run a polo. <laughs> okay. <I laughs> Sounds really hot. It seems athletic. It, it, it is a nice-looking shirt, but when it's this warm, I don't even wear a shirt because you ruin them. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I remember that. Stain them. When I first moved in, when we first moved into the lower gray, I went for a walk maybe a week afterward, and a shirtless older gentleman yep, yep. ran up to me and said, hey, Rex, how you doing? And I just kept, he kept going, and I didn't, I don't even think I responded. <laughs> and then I, like, turned around and watched you go. I was like, I think that's Pastor Bill. <laughs> that's who it is. Um, who's up to pray? None other. Thank you for wearing a shirt to the podcast this week. <laughs> Bill. Will you pray for us? Unlike Dan. All right. Unlike Dan. Dan, okay, I have a shirt cut on. Cut your ponytail. Put your shirt back Let the record show Dan is not wearing a shirt. I am wearing a shirt. <laughs> That's exactly what someone not wearing a shirt would say. And I can't even tell you the things he's got written on his arms. All right. Bill. All right. Dear Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day and the joy of being here and having a great time with my friends. We pray you fill us all with your Holy mm. Spirit that... We not just have fun things to say, but something meaningful that yeah. your spirit gives us. Amen. 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 All right, Scott, it's time for Would You Rathers. Now, I will say, if we're doing Toastmasters, you haven't had the chance to participate. Because I, I curate them. I have lost so many times in a row. <laughs> I would like to take a break from losing and give you the chance to win. I'm sure you would like to take a break from losing. <laughs> Dan, you're up first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll get you one day. <laughs> you can do it next I already chose them as the thing. All right, that's true. You can do it next week. All right. No, next week's burger review. Yeah, that's true. We'll get back to it. <laughs> Don't you wink at me. <laughs> All right, Dan, you're the judge. Um, okay, sorry. I had to I had to get two cards for this one because this one has two that are kind of questionable. Okay. Um, and so anyway, so I we'll start at the top. Um, Max, you're arguing. Okay, so the scenario is for both of you okay. that you have to fight off a charging elephant. Oh, great. Max, you're arguing for fighting off a charging elephant while you are armed with only a bow and 20 well-made, very sharp arrows. Ooh. Bill, you're arguing for having to fight off a charging elephant while you are armed with just five long, sturdy spears for your five hands, Mm. I guess. Max, you go first. I think the most important thing about fighting an elephant is (laughs) trying to keep your distance. Uh, I think with spears, you're you're basically taking your life into your hands and playing the high-risk, high-reward game. But in my experience of fighting elephants, I have only ever sustained significant damage to the body when I didn't maintain a long distance. And the fact of the matter is these well-made arrows, they're going to fly true, they're going to fly straight, and and you don't want to kill the animal either, right? We're We're not in favor of killing elephants on the Bloomingdale Church podcast. You just want to scare it off. And some well-placed shots to maybe the legs, right, or maybe the body will scare away the elephant, whereas I, I have yet to see an elephant survive direct spearing 
I rest my case. That's a well-made point. Thank you. Throw well into the ring, just a, a fact. The elephants can run 25 miles an hour. Ooh. So it's charging at you, so we're going to assume that it's charging at you at 25 miles an hour. That's fast. That is fast. Go for it, Bill. <laughs> well, this would be my first experience of facing a charging elephant. But I would like to have a spear. I think I could poke his eyes out. <laughs> You have five spears. <laughs> Get her five spears. You hold them all. Like, yeah, exactly. So, only needs two. <laughs> give me that spear. Wow. Short and sweet to the point. <laughs> well, Logan, <laughs> give me that spear. spears. Spears. Give me that spear. <laughs> I think that I think they're both well constructed arguments. I'm going to go with Max because it's impossible. I feel like <laughs> I would want to keep my distance and be able to try to. Scare the elephant away as opposed to poking its eyes out because I'd feel really bad. I agree. But let peace win. <laughs> <laughs> With arrows. I vote for five smooth stones. Arrow's the most peaceful yeah. weapon. I like five smooth stones. That's, yeah. that's, 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 that's the name of the church my sister goes to. Five stones. Five no stones. Kidding. Yeah. Five that's cool. stones. That's yeah. a cool name. Huh. Yeah. Uh, all right, Max, you are now the judge. Bring it. Um, Dan, you're arguing for never eating at a restaurant again. Bill, you're arguing for never being able if to we're eat. going to do a burger. Burger reviews is going to be pretty tough. <laughs> we can make them. Uh, Bill, you're arguing for never being able to eat your ten favorite dishes again. Oh, whoa! And who do you want to go first? So, Max, you're deciding: <clears throat> would you rather never eat a restaurant again, or never be able to eat your ten favorite dishes again? I think we got to we got to have Dan go first. All right. Well, Max, I'm a big fan of good stewardship of the resources that, mm. you know, don't just come from us They're mm. not, you know, because we work. But they're given by God. Mm. And restaurants, man, I tell you, they had such a markup. That if you compare what you could actually cook a burger for at your house yeah. and versus going to a restaurant, and then you add tip on that and mm. tax and all that, mm-hmm. it just gets to be quite expensive. Mm. And, and I, I think it's, it's something to be said for learning the art of cooking, mm. uh, something I've not yet mastered myself, <laughs> but I look forward to in the future. <laughs> But I think you know. I think you'll end up saving money in the long run. It's a great bonding experience for you and your significant other to cook together. Huh. Um, and then you also just you know you save a lot of money on your save bottom money. line. Wow, live so. better. Mm. Spears, <coughs> better Give quality me. of life. Give me that spear. Give me that spear, <laughs> Bill. Well, my esteemed associate Dan Marcella won me over. <laughs> <laughs> That was a great argument. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm arguing for giving up. My ten, 10 favorite, favorite dishes, dishes <laughs> which are, rough. in the main, all bad for you. <laughs> so this will really make me a better marathon runner to not be hmm. chowing down on stuff that's not all that good for me anyway. <sighs> Going to miss those but is he, Are you dishes. trying to convince Max to give up his t- favorite ten dishes? Yeah, yeah. But oh, I'm, I'm following my, along. I'm supposed to have yeah. to give up my I'm ten. following. I'm applying it to me. Oh. Yeah. Oh. My marathon <laughs> running would be a lot better run. if I'd stop <laughs> eating my ten favorite dishes. Yeah. That's about all I got. Well, thank you. Don't you wish you were a little bit less happy? (laughs) (laughs) Give up 10 of your favorite things for no reason. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I guess I'll never eat at a restaurant again. Never again? Yep. And it's the 10 dishes forever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess. One thing I'd like to add is you can also go online and find the recipes. Dan, you already won. You've already (laughs) stopped. He's already done. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Bill (laughs) What kind of chance do I have? I give up your 10 favorite favorite dishes. I'm like, I feel like I only eat like 10 Find 10 new favorites. That's that's the thing, is you can't find new restaurants. 
But maybe it's every time, every time a new dish cracks, in cracks your top the top 10, ten, the other one falls out, and you can eat that one now, but you Ooh. can't eat the one that's your new favorite. It'd be like, I like broccoli, and then French fries would come back. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> yeah. play the system. But I don't think you can trick your brain. It's got a little. Really be, do you know? It's got to really be your favorite. All right. All right. So. So Bill. So Bill, you're you got that assigning vote oh, here between. Oh boy. You guys both have one point. All right, Bill. So you're the judge. Um, Dan, you're. I hope you win. I can I can stack the and deck cut here. your ponytail. I'm just kidding. And these are these are actually I'd say fairly. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I haven't said them yet. Oh great. I'm just saying they're fairly even. I think. Oh cool. Um, <clears throat> ish. Um, Dan, would you rather be forced to share your bedroom or sorry? Dan, you're arguing for being forced to share your bedroom with an elk. Mm. And Max, you're arguing for being forced to share your bathroom. Oh, I thought they were both bedroom. Your bathroom with a man with strange skin problems. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, you're the judge. So I would like to hear Max go first. Of course. Um, Well, I mean... First of all, a bathroom is not the kind of place where you two have to be in there at the same time, right? In a well-cleaned bathroom, you have your space. Your roommate has their space. Scott and I can attest to this. Um, you know, there's a lot more room for privacy. I think in a bedroom with an elk, it's a little more, you know, it's, it's close. And also, you know, you don't want to get abs- accidentally, you know, stabbed with, the, with those, those uh, horns as they, as they were. Um, but, but I think the most important thing about this, this gentleman with his skin problems is that this is a new friend for you. This is somebody who you can, you know, bring to, to all of your favorite meals. You can, you know, maybe they get plugged in at the church. Maybe they become a new member of the, the podcast. Maybe a new alpha leader, right? An elk, I love them. I'm the first person to say elk are the best. Uh, but they don't have souls, to my knowledge, and that's and that's that's where we got to get off the bus. That's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure you know talking about elk, and you've so you've maliciously dragged their names through the mud. You know, I'm I'm the first person that, to say I love elk. But then you dragged their names through the mud. You said they didn't have souls. Elk. You want me to do, I just heard Dan? the voices of a million elk cry out in do? despair. Anyway, elk are made in the image of God, Dan. I'm pretty sure the Bible says, "Love your elk as yourself." <laughs> anyway, put your no, elk on a shelf. <laughs> you know, we're, we're creating this false image for Bill of you know this full-grown buck oh. of an elk in the room with you. But mm. I'm, you know, this is baby elk, very cute, very it needs nurturing and love and. Needs that a little little mini bed there by the side of your Aww. bed. Needs care and kindness. Well, Let's not get ahead of ourselves and think about the full-grown giant behemoth, mm. which you painted more like a moose than an elk, to mm. be honest. Mm. Uh, what an opportunity to show love and kindness to this creature Aww. who really just needs a home. <laughs> so cute. Who of us don't need that? Wow. Over to you, Bill. Well, I'm already very prejudiced. <laughs> The skin problem just creeps me out. (laughs) (laughs) I just see all these running sores. I'm not cleaning that bathroom every time that guy comes through. I'd rather have the elk. Wow. In your bedroom. Elk in the bedroom. Baby elk even better. I was thinking of the big one. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) You give an elk. The thing that concerns me about the elk is the feces. 
I mean, it's having to clean training. that up. I mean, it's got to be potty. Can you training. potty train an elk? I sure. Guess. No, I mean, you can take Maybe. it outside. <laughs> elk diaper. <laughs> it's got to. It's got to leave the room at some point. Yeah, you're eat. only sharing the bedroom, and that's that's the thing that's I forgot. True. Is you're only sharing the bathroom with this guy. He doesn't even live with you. His, <laughs> his, his toilet's just broken, and he's like, "Bill, can I come over and use your bathroom?" No. Your pussy sores gross no, me out. My elk is taking it. My, <laughs> my elk is taking <laughs> a shower. Using it. <laughs> Do you get the elk from Pussy Woods? My elk is taking a shower. That is so funny. <laughs> well, Max, I, I think I found. I think maybe you guys just found a really tough card because there are a lot of ones on here that I think. I think we can get. Max, at a chance for a consolation prize, yes. I've got some political trivia here for you. We got trivia. courtesy of Bill. Okay. From 1984, Hoyle Products. This is Hoyle. This is, according to, <laughs> according to Professor Hoyle, as air quotes, everyone listening at home, it's what it says, it's in air quotes. Huh. He's a professor. Uh, this is the Series 6 political trivia pocket game. Anyway. This is going to be impossible. It's, it, these are, you'll know some of these. Pretty much. Um, who promised the British people only blood, toil, tears, and sweat? I mean, the only person I know other than Thatcher who made a bunch of promises has got to be Churchill. Yes. (laughs) All right, all right. Which U.S. constitutional amendment grants freedom of religion? You got this. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the First Amendment? It is is the First. Right. You're a political scientist. All right. (laughs) Who wrote The Prince in 1513? Oh, is it Machiavelli? It is. Woo! Who had you guys pilots? put all this together just for me? <laughs> <laughs> Who had pilots' permission to take Jesus' body after the crucifixion? Impossible to know. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> you got uh, this. Shoot, it's um. You can do it. <laughs> to take his body? Yeah, after the crucifixion. Do I have to know his name? Yeah. Oh, you can do it. It's um, and they put him in the tomb. I know he didn't just and like steal the he body. O- he was the owner of the tomb, I think. Oh, his no. name's not Simon, is it? No, no, that's no. the guy. Who that's the guy who carried the, the cross. cross. Yeah. Ah! Can I phone a friend? Sure, Bill. <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea. Ah, all right, all right. In a million years. Right. Four and Nicodemus, four. too, right? Because Nicodemus helped. There was a two well, That was, that was literally Joseph Easter was the trivia. They were in cahoots. All right. Easter trivia. And now, it? of course, you might know this. I certainly do not. In what year did Idi Amin take over Uganda? 1978. Close. Ooh, 1971. Ah, Dean. So that's a, on, a, on a later note. That's a great. Let's That's do. a great transition to Scott. Will you give me a number between one and a thousand and one? Five seventy-four. Five hundred and seventy-four. This, of course, comes to us from J. Stephen Lang's One Thousand and One Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask. J. Stephen Lang, of course, the nephew of Adrian Lang, the child of Morgan Lang. Who is also a genius. Who's also who, which, which one? Both of them? Both of them. But Adrian is probably a genius. Wow. I mean, he really knows his dinosaurs, man. He was explaining aerodynamics to Amber the other day and how that all works. Really? This kid is a genius. That's incredible. Hopefully, J. Stephen Lang inherited at least a little of Adrian's genius. Uh, You said 574. 74. I went to 547. That's good. I don't know how to pronounce the word that came up for that. Uh, 574 comes to us out of the section history from Papyrus 
to present. Hmm. Martin Luther, 1483 to 1546. Luther's claim to fame is that he launched the Protestant Reformation. That whole movement was a, quote, back to the Bible, end quote, movement, because Luther and other Protestants believed the Catholic Church had strayed a long way from the Christianity taught in the Bible. In 1517, Luther, a monk and teacher, posted his famous 95 theses concerned with church corruption. From that point on, his life was one of controversy and drama. He was asked to retract his views, but before a council, he made the famous statement, quote, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. End quote. He was excommunicated, and there were threats on his life, but he pursued his vision of Christian beliefs and morals based on the Bible. In his busy life, he managed to write dozens of theological works and commentaries on large parts of the Bible. Luther's great contribution was his one-man Bible translation, completed in 1534. Somehow he completed the entire New Testament in a little over two months. It was the German Bible for centuries, and one literary critic called it, quote, the first work of art in German prose. And married a nun. He married a nun? Katarina von Bora. Did she was she still a nun? I think she had left the Catholic yeah. Church at that point. Wow. He fell in love with her. <laughs> no, she was still a nun. Well, she's, she was on the payroll after they married. That's what supported them. <laughs> <laughs> the nun payroll. <clears throat> oh man. Man. So tell me a little bit about Lutheranism. Which you know is a is a denomination, more or less. Denomination is oh, the yeah. right it's word for one Lutheranism. One of the biggest ones in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can you compare and contrast it a little bit with our denomination, the, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, um, in terms of like doctrinally, in terms of? Um, I don't know about the organizational structure of the church or like sure. priests and things like that. That I'm not I'm not quite sure, but I know like one salient point is they do baptize children. Okay. Whereas we, we do don't. not. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's sometimes called Catholic light. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because they don't come off as harsh as the Catholics, but they really retained a liturgy. Okay. There's a book I read about preaching, and they said they haven't had a good preacher since Martin Luther. But, <laughs> all right. And it's because they really don't care about preaching being all that hmm. great. The thing that matters to them is the liturgy, and they don't want to have a celebrity kind of pastors. Okay. So there's just not great effort put into the preaching like you would have, say, in a Baptist church. But I, what I really admire about the Lutherans, they have wonderful programs. Hmm. And that's why they have real success in a community. They they have schools in many Lutheran churches, and of course they run Sunday school. But they they have a lot of really solid programs that come out of the church. The the worship service, honestly, I just I can't stand it. It's just. It's just as bad as a Catholic church. So when you say liturgy, what are you referring to? (laughs) Well, I remember I had a Lutheran pastor friend. (laughs) He had a programmable typewriter. So this was the forerunner to PCs. And and he says, see, here's our bulletin. And in the order of service, which never changes. And he was so excited about it, which never changes. And I'm thinking, just stab me through the heart right now. I don't want it. (laughs) 
I don't want to have to come to this church. Everything's the same every single week. But they see that as a strength. Okay. So you have like call to worship, people respond. You have probably an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading. Some hymns. Everything is just done at the same time in the service even. Okay. You're going to get out on time, probably almost every time. Um, It's kind of interesting. We don't have a Lutheran church anymore in Bloomingdale. There used to be one real close to where I live. Really? Oh, on our mutual over by the gas station? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing to me they went out of business. You think, good grief, you're on Army Trail Road. You would always have visitors. Mm-hmm. But they went out of business, and a lawyer bought the property, and he has never done anything with it. Mm-hmm. So they believe something similar to the Catholics, but slightly different when it comes to communion. Okay. Because the Catholics believe in something called transubstantiation, mm-hmm. that the, yes. the, the host, the, the wafer, becomes the body and blood of Christ. Lutherans don't exactly believe that, but they believe consubstantiation, okay. which I had to look up to remember the, the exact word. But it's that the substance of the bread and wine coexists with the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. Coexists. Coexists. So interesting. Interesting. So where for us, we more think this is a symbol yeah. of, you know, this is a sa- like not a sacrament, but a, it's an ordinance that we remember the Lord's Supper. We remember what he did. And right. We want to examine our hearts and kind of view it in that light, but for them it's like this, the substance of the bread and wine that coexists with sure. the actual body and blood of Jesus, which seems to be kind of splitting hairs to yeah. <laughs> the difference between what the Catholics believe and what they believe. It seems pretty pretty similar. Yeah, okay. But there's something more mystical in it hmm. than what we, we as a, the Christian Missionary Alliance would attribute. Does yeah. the CMA f- feel the same way about baptism? That it's more or less symbolic versus like the saving action? Yes. Yes. We don't. We don't believe that baptism saves you, which is something that we have to. We have to keep coming back to. Like, because a lot of times people have that that notion of like, you go through the baptism class. Like, this does not save you. It's a, you yeah. know, you're you're publicly declaring what already has happened in your life. That mm. Christ has come. You've you know, accepted him as your savior. He's changed you, transformed you. But inevitably, someone will say, "Yeah." And the day I got baptized, the day I got saved. Like, oh, no, mm. no, not yeah. shouldn't be that. But it's closely tied to salvation. It is because. Peter said in Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Right. So the person that says, yes, I'm saved, no, no, I'm not getting baptized. you really got to step mm-hmm. back and say, well, That's wait a true. minute. This is an act of obedience. You're following in the hmm. steps of Jesus to be baptized, and you're identifying with him. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, I just don't like having my head underwater. <laughs> well, is that really <laughs> a good enough reason uh, so it is very tightly associated with salvation. Hmm. Now, why was – we've talked about this before, but if we can leave the answer like as an example to us on, on the table for a minute, why was Jesus baptized? Hmm. Is, is the only answer to that question like as an example for us, like why Jesus chose or, or did he have to be baptized? Well, he was identifying with us as sinners. That I think that is really the biggest reason why he got baptized. He's I think an example. It, and, and it's something that God the Father wanted him to do because right after he did it, then the dove came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right. And it's interesting if you think about <clears throat> the crowds that were following John the Baptist who 
<clears throat> I'm sure many of them, you know, we don't know a ton about what John the Baptist was saying, like, before Jesus came. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure, given his role, that he was talking about the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. Jesus shows up, is identified as the Messiah, and then, like, the first thing he does is be baptized. And all the people who are following John waiting for the Messiah see him do this. I'm sure it was really, like, a strange the first of many subversion of expectations for them of like, why is the Messiah Hmm. being baptized? Like, why would he do that? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it set the pace for the rest of Jesus life Mm -hmm. and ministry. Because people just thought he was going to be this great military leader. Right. Like, yeah, he's going to save us from Roman occupation and oppression. Like Barabbas. Mm -hmm. Who they ended up trading for him. (laughs) The whole baptism thing is interesting. I just, Double check this to make sure. Yeah. Lutherans believe and teach that baptism forgives the guilt of original sin. So it's similar to oh, like Catholic okay. in that sense. But the sinful nature that remains is real sin. So in that sense, it is essential mm-hmm. to get rid of. So, like, you'd want to do that as soon as possible. Yeah. When my kid is born. Yeah. Now, if someone was baptized as a child they and they came here and asked to be baptized again as an adult. Yeah. yeah. We do that. Yeah, we do all the time. It's believer's baptism. Cool. That's what we practice, yeah. Interesting. Because, you know, I grew up in the, the PCUSA, and I, to my understanding, if you're baptized as a child in the PCUSA, you can't be baptized again. Hmm. Um, or if you were baptized in a different church and as a child and then came to a PCUSA church as an adult, they, they wouldn't let you do that. Um, so, Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Final thoughts on, on Luther? Or Lutheranism? Lutheranism or, is really interesting in the f- sense that we don't have like a ton of Lutheran churches he- around here, I don't think. Right. But if you go to Minnesota yeah. and up like in the Dakotas, yeah. where a lot of people from Germany and like Norway and those areas where there's a lot of Lutheran churches, it's really sure. strong. Yeah. Like there's a ton of Lutheran churches everywhere. Yeah. It's just interesting the kind of the geographic spread of those churches yeah. here in America. Mm-hmm. Mm. Luther was an awesome person. I learned this especially through a Sunday school class Danny Munoz taught one day. And he had a chart. I just wish I had that chart. But he showed Luther was the number one Bible translator. All right. He was the number one preacher. All right. He was the number one songwriter. All right. He was the number one doctrinal teacher all right everything <laughs> luther did he was like number one and he he remained like number one maybe for the next 400 years it, wow it just really is amazing what what a talent he was wow. sounds like god's anointing was really upon his life to to yeah. minister and mm-hmm. to make that be something long lasting yeah and really impactful wow, that's cool wow well it is time for Sermon Roundup. Yeah. Woo. Sermon Roundup this week is brought to you one more time by Day Camp. Woo. Bloomingdale Church welcomes all kids going into first through sixth grade to our annual Day Camp on June 15th through 18th. Day Camp is a four day in person, mostly outdoor experience for kids who have had an unpredictable year and need a safe place to connect with other kids and make new friends. With this year's Day Camp theme, Press Play, kids will enjoy live music, fishing, story times, games, and take home crafts while learning how to build their confidence, knowing that they belong and that they can make a difference. Day Camp, June 15th through 18th, in person at Bloomingdale Church. Last chance to register or volunteer. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash daycamp to learn more. That's next week.
Yeah. It's yep. going to be awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, this week's Sermon Roundup, uh, or this week's sermon, was brought to us by two of our international workers. I don't know whether or not we're allowed to say... Eric and Chrissy M. Eric and Chrissy M. Um, talking about the change in the hope that they've seen um, in their mission field. And I know I, I bug you about it all the time, Dan, to talk to us a little bit about Mexico. Um, but... Arriba! Uh, <laughs> exactly. And that's it for Sermon Roundup. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Moving on to Topic of the Week. (laughs) Um, I I have some sort of uh, big general questions, and I'd like to to take it um, where sort of where the Spirit leads it to go, and I'd like Scott and and Bill to weigh in on these as well. Um, Because one of the questions that's been in my mind for a long time um, is like, well, who chooses so quote to go into the mission field Mm -hmm. but then also like who chooses not to and and Mm -hmm. uh, let's acknowledge straight out of hand that like wherever you are is your mission field um whether you're a pastor or whether you're a welder or whether you're a baseball player like where you are um you are surrounded by souls who need to know who jesus christ is um, who God loves uh and and wants to to draw close to himself um but uh, I want to kind of tie this into this broader topic we're talking about today of really hearing God's voice mm-hmm. and understanding when he's speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dan, would you tell a little bit of your story of, of how you heard God speak to you and yeah. how you knew it was him and what your initial reactions and secondary reactions? Mm-hmm. and Yeah, well, God just didn't let it go, to his credit. <laughs> Where I was in junior high and pretty disengaged from church. We had a church missions conference, and back in those days, they used to take flags, and people would dress up in the garb of the country and, like, parade around the church sanctuary for, like, Mission Sunday. Huh. That's when I really felt God speak in my heart, like, I want you to do this, not, like, dress up in garb and go with a flag, but, like, <laughs> to go and share the gospel with other people. And I'm like, uh-uh. Huh. Uh-uh. No. I'm not doing it. But thankfully, God didn't give up on me, and through series of events in my life, and especially in college drawing mm. me back to himself, like, brought that, like, brought it back up again. It was like, mm. Mm. At first I thought maybe I'd go to Israel to share the gospel with Jewish people. I was really super passionate about that. Really? And then that didn't, that didn't work out. Um, mm. And then God brought up a love for Hispanic people and Latin ministry huh. through different experiences that I'd had with people like that in different Latin American countries. Yeah. Well, And we expected to not be able to go. There, there. The, then at that time, back in like 2011 and 12, the alliance was sending people like to Central Asia like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, it wasn't a thing to go to Latin America. So we were very surprised when there was that option. Yeah. Well, how did I don't you... know if I even answered your question. No, completely. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about because you've talked before about like your passion for mm-hmm. you know the the Latin American people mm-hmm. and the opportunity to go serve and like. To have that passion about like Israel as well, right? And the Jewish yeah, people I, would, I, would, I got this giant book that was like a million pages, all, huge book, all about the history of Israel. Yeah, just really felt, man, could this be something that God wants me to do? And I was watching like YouTube videos on like <laughs> these like Messianic Jewish guys. I was really super into it. Yeah, how did God say no? I think it was just maybe a redirection. Hmm. Of like, okay, you got this, but this isn't isn't what I have for you right now. Hmm. I met my wife well before we were married, and she was very, 
she had had experiences in Latin American countries as well. It wasn't like I was like, well, I'm going to ditch the Jewish people so I can be with her and, <laughs> you know, go to Latin American countries because I want to be with her. But God gave us experiences even together of, like, we met in Ecuador on wow. a missions trip. Mm, okay. And that was a big moment for me to, like, oh, yeah, I really could see myself doing this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I think it was more like a, just a redirect of, like, yeah, you, you, this is good that you have this passion for this, but I've got something different. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it was just God maybe even cultivating a heart for people outside of the country in me. Mm. And, Nothing and wrong with that. A true missionary seems to be really able to go from one culture to another to another. Mm. I'm thinking of one of the great ones was C.T. Studd from the 19th century. He was Don't a real stud. <laughs> but he started out as a missionary in China. Mm. And he was there for, I'll say, like 10 years. And he switched over to India for like maybe 15 years. And then he ended up in Africa, which is what he's really famous for, being a missionary there. And mm-hmm. he stayed there till the day he died. <clears throat> but good grief, he had to learn all those different languages. Yeah. yeah. Chinese, my gosh, that's a hard language to to learn. For sure. I've known some people that have done that. I think of Mark and Patty Brinkman, for example. Mm-hmm. That, then there were international workers affiliated with that church for a long time. It was, I think, sent from here. Um, yeah. And they went to many different countries, and God seemed to just cultivate in them a love for the people they were serving wherever they were, hmm. which is really neat that it wasn't like, well, these people we're with now. It's not like before. We can't, you know, I'm sure they had moments of like really missing sure. where they were before, but just really seemed to engage on a deep level, like a heart level with people, hmm. no matter where they were, the language they had to learn, which is really cool. Yeah, they were both really smart. Yeah. So they must have been able to acquire languages super mm-hmm. fast because I always thought shouldn't just jack them around and move them around because they're smart you know <laughs> let them stay somewhere and mm-hmm. put down roots build a ministry mm-hmm. but yeah they did that mm. they they really were phenomenal mm-hmm. I, I think every term they went to a different yeah. place yeah Bill was there a time when you thought that you might be called into like an international mission no. field? How? No. Why not? <laughs> how do you know? How, did, how is it so clear that like, no, that's definitely not it? I just had no interest in it. Well, neither no did Jonah. De- no desire. Well, but he was called to go to mm. Nineveh. I was not called to go... Mm outside of the country. I was called to evangelism. That's mm. really what I was called to. Mm. And that's what I followed. I, I will yeah. say this. Back in 1986, the Alliance had general counsel in Florida. And Gracie Cutts was the speaker for about 18 minutes. And she spoke of her husband translating the New Testament into the Moni language in Indonesia. Okay. And man, it was one, it, it is probably the most moving message I've ever heard in my life. I was just weeping through hmm. the message. And she said, My husband's done the hard work of learning this language and translating it into 
the New Testament. This is all before computers. Okay. This is all the hard way. So she holds up this Bible and she says, would one of you take the word of God to the Moni people? And I thought, wow, I could do that. But I didn't feel like I could leave the church I was in to go do that. Mm. But I'm telling you, for close to 20 minutes, I was just weeping. That was such a powerful, powerful mm. message. Mm. And hopefully somebody did answer that call and go to the Monies and give them their scriptures. Yeah. I'd be willing, I'm not a betting person, but I'm betting someone that got stirred in the heart of someone. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you didn't get stirred by that message, you were dead. <laughs> it was... It was just so powerful and if you could have seen her husband i i met her husband he was on our he was on the missionary tour and at our church he was when i first met him i just thought oh no he's gonna die and it's gonna be my fault <laughs> he was gray his skin color was gray okay he was this little old man with glasses and a hunchback and the cma kept turning him down you can't be a missionary you have too many <clears throat> physical problems mm. And they just kept coming back and saying, we want to be a missionary, we want to be a missionary. And, and finally the CMA just said, okay, you can go. And they sent him into what was Moni land, and he learned the language, <laughs> and he was a great missionary for probably 25, 35 years. But as a physical specimen, the guy was just a mess. Hmm. Just a, I mean, it really shames people like me with good health not going. And here's this hmm. guy who's honestly got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, and he's he's <laughs> going. Man, I, I've <laughs> never heard that. Really, have a lot of respect for older people who go yeah and serve, especially after they retire, and they've sensed a call from the Lord to go and mm -hmm. serve in another country. I interacted with a lot of people like that in language school who were hmm. probably in their 60s, struggled like to no end with the language. Like hmm. you'd hear them having professional, you know, tutors. You walk by the classroom, the teacher would be like, "Hola, cómo estás?" and like wanting to repeat, think about, "Hola, cómo estás?" You know, like, just butchering it. And, sure. But just the, the heart of gold. Like, yeah. And at that point, their language going to be perfect? No. It's it's hard. The older you get, the harder it is to learn a language. Yeah. But just the the character in the heart of gold that was really love people that much to try hmm. to engage and try to be on their level and learn to speak the way they do. And yeah, I thought that was, I just have so much respect yeah. for people. Like it's, it's gotta be challenging. Yeah. And then there the guy, are missionaries that don't learn the language yeah. that really? well. I mean, they just stumble. I understand Jack Agar really didn't learn Korean. For instance, the Donna was the one that learned mm. it and Jack just kind of stumbled around with it. And mm. I, I, I believe Ed Maxey really didn't learn mm his language in Indonesia, but um, Mrs. Maxey translated the New Testament into three separate languages. Really? But Ed was the one who's leading people to Christ and giving them polio vaccinations, just doing everything imaginable. Mm. He was He's considered one of the very best missionaries the CMA ever had. You know, now he's in his 90s, but right. he... Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Just it's amazing. So somebody like me that just says, ah oh, man, I don't want to learn that language. Why don't they just learn English? It's like, well, that's not really gonna stop you from being a missionary if God's mm. called you. Mm-hmm. That's true. Scott, what are you looking up? I've just been trying to find the I think it's in my Google Drive, the my grandpa's memoirs, because I Yeah. It's been a long time since I've read through it and I I was curious what what he said about they're feeling called to missions when I can't find it. I, mean, I, I want you to keep looking for it. I think you read an excerpt on that on like I the fourth I episode. I think I um, I but I found it while you're looking for that, Bill and Dan, both of you mentioned this, but <clears throat> Bill, you made the specific distinction of I didn't feel called to the mission field, to mis- to being a missionary, to being mm-hmm. an overseas or international worker. But I did feel called to evangelism. Mm-hmm. What does that, like... Can you talk about what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it is to be called? All right. Hmm. So to be called has a threefold element, and it's this. There's something within you, the Holy Spirit's working an inside job on you, saying, I, I want to do that. Hmm. And the second thing, though, is you need to bear fruit. If I feel called to be evangelist and nobody's ever getting saved because of my life, I'm not understanding that calling rightly. Mm. And the third element of it is other people need to say, yes, we see that in you and we affirm it. Mm. And we'll get behind you. We'll, we'll help you. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that help is unbelievably great, such mm. as the men's class of... I believe it was First Baptist Church Dallas sending George W. Truett to seminary. They said, we believe you are called for the ministry. Wow. I think he was one of these people that was so gifted he could just do anything and couldn't really get a sense of what am I supposed to do with my life. And so that men's class told him, this is what you're supposed to do with this, your life. Hmm. You're to go into the ministry. You're, we're sending you to seminary. We're paying for it. The same thing happened to Peter Marshall. He's my favorite preacher of the 20th century. And a men's class again from a different church mm-hmm. said, we think you're called to the ministry and we're paying for you to go oh, that's to wow. seminary. And really wild in his case, he hadn't gone to college. And you always go to college to go to seminary. And I think he was just so gifted, the seminary said, come on in. Mm. College is a waste of your time. Wow. You need to just go to seminary. Wow. I, I've never heard it for anybody else being done. Yeah, I mean, but kind of like going to medical school. You didn't go to college? Just come to medical school. <laughs> we'll teach you what you need to know. Like, mm-hmm. What? what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about like just like what that being called to evangelism? Okay, so yes, I got off track. I'm sorry. So for evangelism, it was I felt very burdened for America. Okay. That America needs salvation. I'm praying for a revival in America and that it needs to happen through the local church in my case, Um, Mm. that it's not enough for people to pray to receive salvation. It's come to salvation and be part of the local church. That's what you've got to do. And so that's what I've given my life to. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm thinking of, the idea of calling, is I think it's really easy for someone to say, well, only pastors 
right. and missionaries get called. But right. mm-hmm. people are really listening. To the, we were talking about listening to God. I think he's got a calling he has on each one of our lives, mm-hmm. whether that's to go, I think Scott mentioned this, and I really love this language of whether it's to go across the world or across the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what does God have? What is his calling on my life? Whether yeah. I'm a business professional, whether I work at a pastry shop, I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, you know, I'm a highway road construction worker. Yeah. God has a calling on each of our lives, but it's the matter of listening to him and, and what do you want me to do? Yeah. Here's my life. Amen. Here's my life. Take it, do with it what you want. Mm-hmm. Whoever I am, wherever I am. And it's not just the job of a select few yeah. to be evangelists. It's all of our jobs. Amen. And, but but uh, this calling, too, mm-hmm. I think of my wife, Nancy. I think of my daughter, Nicole. They have a calling to be mathematicians. Mm-hmm. And they're in the insurance industry, and they don't call them mathematicians in insurance, but data analysts or actuaries. But they they have a calling. Mm-hmm calling to the work itself and a calling to the people around yeah, them. That's right. Um, it's, it's what the Christian life is to be. Yeah. That you just don't say, well, I'm just drifting along. No, no, I'm, I'm here because God put me here. Hmm. Even some people, I think, have callings with their factories. That, hmm. yes, the work may be even beneath them. They might have more intelligence than what their job requires, but they are able to just rise like cream in that factory and do outstanding work. And Mm. sometimes they end up being promoted to the point where they're like the CEO, but other times it's, no, they stay on that factory floor Mm. and, and they're winning people to Christ. They're changing lives. Yeah. So we talked about the book, Every Good Endeavor by Mm -hmm. by Tim Keller. Yeah. Work isn't a curse. Work right. is a gift mm-hmm. that God's given us to be yeah. able to do and an be able to exercise our, our calling lives. within that work, mm-hmm. whether that's a, a secular, in quotes, work or a more of like a pastoral ministry type work. Yeah. yeah. And I th- that's equal, it's equally important. That's a really good connection to make, especially because I think, you know, uh, at least in, in for whatever reason, the way my brain works when we talk about like, oh, you know, everybody's got calling. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be like a missionary or a pastor. The way that my brain interprets that is like everyone's got calling. Missionaries and pastors have lots of calling, <laughs> but everyone's got like a default amount of little calling. Like here's your little satchel of calling, mm. and here's your dump truck for your missionaries. <laughs> um, but the the fact is like it's not that's not at all what it means. It's like everyone has has God has the same. Uh, not the same plans, but the same level of investment in mm-hmm. every single person, right? And, yeah. Yes. And he doesn't do redundancy, and he's you know got mm-hmm. he's built people with specific skills and interests and passions and personalities. I'm starting to sound like the upset. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of what, something we saw at the, one of the global leadership summits maybe a couple of years ago that we do every August. Mm. At, like our staff, we attend the, this training of, for leadership purposes. And I think it was like, this company in England goes out of their way to hire ex-convicts. Like the guy is a who I think his family did a lot of fostering. Okay. Like when he was growing up. And you guys who were there, I think, Max, I think, I don't know if you were there. But I don't know. Maybe, who knows? <laughs> but they hire people who were or ex-convicts and they, they help rehabilitate them and pay for their first month's rent and go out of their way to do all this stuff. 
and like it just produces such a loyalty within the people to this company hmm. to to work hard and to, and ultimately the, this guy's vision is to honor God through all of this. Yeah. But like it's really helping change lives. And that, hmm. but God gave him this calling to be able to do that, and that's just as much of a ministry as it is to for me to come in and be a pastor. Hmm. And it's huge. Yeah. Probably making more of an impact than and just a bigger scale. It's amazing. Spurgeon said, he who builds a factory builds a temple. Mm. Because he could see that that factory owner has all these families counting on that factory to feed the children, Mm. to care for them. And when you see, (laughs) this is a funny kind of model, um, Guinness in Ireland. We took a tour of their facility and they had a hospital for their employees, a a small hospital, but they had a hospital there. And it was because they felt we have to take care of our employees. Mm. That's amazing. So they had sort of like a little Guinness village almost. People lived close by and thought, huh. But that's, that's good ownership when you're taking responsibility as opposed to saying, you know, we're only going to give you 29 hours because mm, right. if we give you 32, you become a full-time person. Then we have to give you benefits, and we mm. don't want to do that because right. we want more money for us. That That's the sickening thing about Amazon and Walmart. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those guys are just wrong to treat people that way. and. Mm. I can't get over the fact that the United States government lets them get away with it because mm-hmm. the taxpayer is footing the bill for the medical of Amazon, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong. Amazon's got money. It's That's very different than some guy who's just starting up and he's got one other employee and they don't even have enough money to make their payroll. Yeah. That's so different. Mm-hmm. So there's that's why it, <laughs> it just <laughs> bugs me. <laughs> it reminds me of the, what Eric preached on even this weekend of mm. that cool story about this these guys were kind of suffering in this factory making bricks yeah. and then mm. thought well can we start our own brick factory right whoa all right yeah hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about like course correction right so, so we've talked about you know what a calling looks like and sometimes we don't successfully live up to our callings sometimes as, as Dan has said like we can run away <laughs> and <laughs> or, callings can change too. and callings can change. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, so what does that look like on an active day to day level? Like how does the Holy spirit start to shape and move and, mm. and course correct? And, and dare I say, discipline us, Scott, have you found, I found your it. grandfather's memoirs? <laughs> 90 pages long. So I found it probably like 10 minutes ago and I've been trying to find what I've been looking for. Okay. Bear with me. Uh, as I, it's like, the the process of of getting into missionary work is a lot of pages, so okay. I'm gonna try and find like the little bits and pieces. Okay. So this is, I think, right after they got married. Yeah. So my grandparents just got married. Uh, my grandparents. This is my yeah. thank it's you. Good for you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, my this is my grandfather's memoirs. He says, I landed a job again at Boeing, again as an aircraft mechanic, but this time I worked on a real live airplane, not just a wing spar for one. 
They were just getting started on the B-52, and I worked on one of the first two models. It was so big that I never thought it could really fly. Those are huge. Now, as Bobby, that's my grandma, worked at the dairy office and I at Boeing, uh, we both were involved in teaching Sunday school at Union Hill Church, which is where she still goes. Uh, as we worked as an alliance church, as we worked and taught, there was a growing dissatisfaction with our lives. Oh, yes. We knew that we had accepted Jesus as our Savior, but something was missing, something lacking. As we thought about it, we came to the conclusion that we needed training in order to better help in our church. Now, the question was where to get such training. Simpson Bible College, an alliance school, was right here in Seattle. We checked on costs, and it was out of our league. Then we thought of Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada. We had heard of the school through camp counselors at Sammamish Bible Camp, and those counselors had really impressed us as godly uh, young people. We wrote prayer to find out what the requirements were and the costs. The requirements were that you be vertical and above room temperature. <laughs> <laughs> the cost was five hundred dollars. Like a for Bill the two Calvin quote. That is a Bill Calvin. <laughs> the cost was five hundred dollars to the two of us for a whole school year. This we could swing if we were careful. Hmm. Um, so then. Uh, as we, ended the near, the, as we neared the end of our year at Prairie, both Bobby and I felt that one year of training was not enough and agreed that we wanted to come back for a second. It was sure to help us, and so we returned to Redmond, Washington, lived in the little cabin just across the street from Mom and Dad Lewis. I was back at Boeing, and we planned for the fall. Uh, again, I received a leave of absence from Boeing, and Bobby and I, now with Tom, Helen, and Chet Jr., Bobby's siblings, crammed into our Buick, headed for Prairie. Um, so I went back for a second year. Um... Uh, it was in the spring that we received a letter from Ken and Rosa Johnson, now pastoring in Utah, inviting us to come down there during our long summer months for and help them in their church. Already the mission's emphasis at Prairie, the mission's emphasis at Prairie was beginning to be felt. Um, mm. Several years before, we had promised the Lord we would go anywhere he directed, but if overseas, we preferred an Africa location. Um, and then... That's cool that it was even on their mind of like, Lord... Send us wherever you want, and if it's overseas, okay. Yeah. All right. During our years at Prairie, we had a growing sense that missions should be our goal. During a missions class, a Mrs. Ira Jeffrey, the daughter of Adoniram Judson, famous missionary to Burma, Whoa. came to the school and addressed our class. Cool. Mrs. Jeffrey spoke of, quote, the regions beyond the regions beyond, about tribal people living in such a place and the need for single men to go and evangelize among them. Man, I thought to myself, if I was single, I would go. The place Mrs. Jeffrey spoke of was near Dalat, Vietnam, which is where they ended up. Um, or mm -hmm. close to where they ended up. God was moving, and we didn't know it yet. Bobby and I began to inquire of different mission agencies serving in Africa, the area of our interest. All turned us down flat because we were married and had a baby and were about to have another. Then we thought, what about the Alliance? We haven't mm -hmm. considered them yet. We wrote to a Mr. Smalley in the New York office and got a short reply. Our first requirement is that you graduate from an Alliance school. Well, it wasn't a no, so we planned to finish at Prairie and take another look at Simpson. So then they go to Simpson, um... Mm. And then they get accredited by the uh, by the alliance. Um, Interesting how God shut the doors on Africa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he took a while to open the doors on Simpson mm. for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's it, it, like I said, it's like a ninety-page memoir. So I'm trying. Who is Chet Junior? So is it unpublished? <laughs> Is that an unpublished memoir? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a Google Doc. How special! Man, that is that really is cool. Neat. Yeah. So there's were there were some of the something that's find interesting just hearing that, like you were saying, like with calling. How does it bear on a day to day basis? So a lot of times it's just God opening and closing doors and opportunities, mm -hmm. and like that, like they that we really would like to go to Africa. 
God was like, not going to let those doors open at this time. Yeah. There's something else I have for you. Hmm. It's like when we, when we were sensing, I was sensing first, like we're, our time in Mexico was supposed to be done, which was crazy because we expected it to be there forever. Right. And I started to sense it from the Lord. And Amber, it took about a year, and then she was kind of came to her own conclusion of like, yeah, I, I sense this too. That God flung the door wide open to come here back here to Bloomingdale Church, which we never anticipated. Yeah. Shared it with a friend who said, I sensed this like two years ago, but I didn't want to say anything. I was waiting for you to come to me. <laughs> friend from Mexico. Yeah. Wow. Which was a confirmation that God flung the door wide open. Hmm. Hmm. But if he had meant for us to be there, that door would never have, have opened to come back. Sure. What does that day-to-day molding kind of look like to you, Bill? Well, this opening and shutting doors is good. I yeah. remember being the Christian ed director at First Baptist Church in Barbara, and the Lord was speaking to me about, I want you to resign. I just, I, I just couldn't believe it. Hmm. So that was seven months of just wrestling over that issue. And then the day came, I did resign and didn't have another position lined up, which was really weird. You know, you don't just resign something and not have another job. But I had peace about doing that. I had no peace about staying. Hmm. And things were, in my area, things were going wonderfully well. And the... People in the church would come up to me in the receiving line of my going away party and just say, hey, Bill, just keep all the presents, keep all the money, come back. That's how, that, that's a real love. Yeah. Just, just keep it all, come back. Hmm. Um, so I thought naively, hey, now the door's going to open. I'm going to be hmm. uh, hired to the church. And that didn't happen. So Nancy had this great deal going with Akron University. They paid her to go to school to get a master's degree. Wow. So one way of looking at it was they they were really paying her to teach a freshman math class, but then your education's free and you get this money too. Wow. And it's not a lot of money, believe me. It's not a lot of money, but it was amazing they would do all that. And it was in a field that was really new, math statistics. Hardly any schools had masters in that. But she was in the right place at the right time, and I thought, Nancy, we can't move now. You're halfway done. We gotta, we gotta stay here so you can finish this. I'll just get a job doing something, and I ended up at Mullinax Ford selling cars. Right. <clears throat> and I didn't know anything about cars. I mean, I knew so little that it, it it's just. Comical. I mean, they showed me the Thunderbird, which is like the top car. And I thought, this is really, a, I just thought this was a thing in a song. I didn't know. They <laughs> still made these things. And then they took me to the pickup truck section. I said, so why do you think it's called a half ton pickup? I said, I, I don't know. It can haul a half ton. They're like, no. And I was like, okay. But they hired me anyway. And <laughs> And I'd be standing on the curb thinking, I'm here with these guys that are alcoholics, and I've already been ordained. What am I doing here? And it was like the Lord just saying, you watch, this, is all, this, is, this has got a purpose. Hmm. And it didn't take too long to realize, I know what the purpose is. 
this is for me to learn how to deal with strangers mm-hmm. and and not be shy around people because I had been pretty shy. Yeah. And to not be backward about money, but to say, yeah, you got to pay money for this. And give me $100 to take it over there and talk to the new car manager about your offer. And then take thousands of dollars off of them when they're paying for the car. Mm. I got comfortable around that and became more and more bold and used to being turned down, too, used, mm. you know, being treated poorly by people. So that when we went to Buffalo Grove and started knocking on doors and all those Jews are just slamming the doors in our face, we just, it didn't bother me. It was mm. like, yeah, this is life. Mm. Whereas other pastors were saying, yeah, I, I go and I try to go door to door and I just break down and I start crying because I can't do it. And I think, huh, that car business really got me ready for this. Seminary mm. doesn't do anything like that for mm. a person. Mm-hmm. So... Th- the circumstances worked out great. Yeah. It really did. So I want to bring this back. Can I say something? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you go first. If you want to go first. I don't know. Let me read this passage, read passage. and then you can say, because I think what you're going to say is going to connect, but maybe it won't. You have a lot of faith uh, in me. <laughs> this is Hebrews 12, 10 to 12. Uh, they, that is uh, fathers or parents, Disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Um, Dan? I was just thinking, I think there's a tendency in all of us, no matter what our stage of life, to be dissatisfied with something. Mm. Or to be like, I can't wait to get on to the next stage of life mm-hmm. because that will be amazing. And But the current stage of life I'm in, man, it's got this problem, this problem, that problem, yeah. the other problem. And I think sometimes what God is calling all of us to do is to say, here I am right now. Mm-hmm. Like like Bill in the car lot, like what do you have for me to learn? Yeah. It's, instead of trying to escape to the next stage or, or, or to kind of get out of what we're already doing, it's a, grass is always greener on the other side to say, all right, Lord, here I am. Maybe I'm facing this and that challenge, or maybe things aren't ideal. Or maybe they are. Maybe they're going great. I don't know where the, our listeners are at. Yeah. But to say, Lord, here I am. These are my circumstances. What do you have for me to, to do and to learn? Mm. I'm, this is my life, but I'm yours. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. You know, even if that takes discipline and molding and yeah. shaping and redirecting, it doesn't always feel good at the time. Yeah. Like, do what you want with me. Because ultimately, it's better than what I'm going to come up with myself. Mm. So when we're in that space where we are being disciplined, where we are being molded, um, as you said, you know, we want to, the right response is to give ourselves over and to say that God Which is, is a progressive thing because it's not yeah, just like a one and done. Exactly. Because it would be really easy to be like, well, I know I'm being oh, molded. Great. great, God. Easy. And then the next day, it's like, oh, goodness, this mm-hmm. doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. Like, but even in the doesn't feel great, do what you want to do. Be, mm, it's just, yeah. a, I feel like the times in my life where it's happened or is happening is just surrendering that. Mm. Saying, okay, this isn't the way I would do it, but you're God and you know better than me. Mm. Mm. Bill, what were you going to say to that? I agree. The circumstances, hearing Bob Reed's um, memoirs, 
that was just so heartening. Yeah, that, that was inspiring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's a young couple. What do you want us to do? And why don't you go to Prairie Bible Institute? Mm-hmm. They end up with the Alliance. Well, now you need to go to an Alliance school. A lot of people would have just said, oh, come on. I don't want to go to school all my life. Mm-hmm. Why can't you just take what I did at Prairie? And the answer is the CMA has a specific way, a philosophy of missions, and they want their missionaries to have mm-hmm. exposure to it through mm-hmm. an Alliance school. Yeah. Um, it's that simple. Mm. Yeah. Wow. But it's heartening too, their obedience of just sensing mm-hmm. the Lord's leading and direction and saying, okay, we'll take a step in that direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- that's not always, the, that's not easy, cause especially when it takes us out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. or when it's like, but I had this other plan, what I was thinking. Come on, Lord, bless <laughs> that plan, not this one. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, mm-hmm. and God is often so good in giving uh, like feedback almost. Like, okay, I, 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 I will do my best if I say, like, l- help me do my best to trust you where I am. Mm. And if I am truly where I'm supposed to be, like, I'll keep praying and ask you if this is where it is. But, like, will you show yourself to me and show mm. me that I am, even if I have no idea why I'm here or how long, but, like, will you show yourself to me here? Mm. And in my experience, he has, and that has made the next one, mm which has been like a you know 10% increase in the faith necessary or the <laughs> patience necessary yeah. has made you know that easier and 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 the next one and the next one and discipline is really a how, how you receive it too hmm. cuz like remember when we were kids you get discipline doesn't feel good no it, and you, i remember times getting disciplined as a kid being like stewing on it in my room no discipline like, it's not seems pleasant fair. at the time <laughs> it's not fair they don't understand yeah and I think it's the same. We could either approach it like, okay, learn from it, grow from it, mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. And it's the same with with God. Of do we keep our fists clenched and say, no, I don't like this God. You're not fair, mm. and really stew on it and focus on it and get mad at God, or just release that and have an open hand and say, all right, Lord, I'm not mine. I'm bought with a price. Mm. The blood of Christ. What do you want to do? Amen. Amen. Discipline and disciple are the same root word. That's true, Bill. Mm. And discipline isn't always correction for having done something wrong. Discipline also involves, I think, a training for a marathon. Mm. It's, it's discipline. Mm. There's just no getting around it. Yeah. you, you got to do it. That's what Paul says. Discipline's his body. And it's for your own benefit. Like a sense of a marathon, if you don't discipline yourself, you're going to get to the day of the race. And you're not going to be able to do it. You won't be able yes. to, to fulfill it. Yes. So the Bible expects us to apply that mentality to our Christian lives. And you look at people who are really disciplined. I look at my wife, Nancy. She's up at 4.30 every day right. to read the Bible. She wants to spend an hour reading and praying. And she says, I won't get it done if I don't start at 4.30. Man. I can't pull that off. Mm. 4.30, I'm falling asleep at 10.30. Uh, <laughs> 10.30 a.m. Because <laughs> I did used to get up really early for a prayer meeting, and it just whacked my body out so badly. Mm. But but there she is. And we're not talking about something that she's been doing for a couple of months. We're talking about something she's been doing for, golly, like 30 years, let's say. Yeah. Just some incredibly long period of time. But who really knows their Bible? 
Nancy really knows the Bible. Mm. Who really knows God? Nancy. Who knows how to pray? If I want to find somebody to pray for me, it's Nancy. Nancy, Nancy gets answers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because she's doing this all in her closet. Mm. Nobody's seeing yeah. it. It's just this quiet discipline that just keeps on keeping on. Mm. <whistles> but there's there's all kinds of discipline. That's That's the one that's just... Blown my mind yeah. is her. Mm. Man. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Well, that uh, ended up covering both our sermon roundup and our topic of the week. We managed to bridge Ooh. the two pretty well. Mission accomplished. That's uh, almost topic, like we planned it that way. That topic of the week was brought to you by Dad's Hangout. Attention, dads of all ages. This is a great chance to be encouraged and spend time with other men your own age. Join us every Thursday night until the end of August in case of rain or extremely hot weather. We'll be in the common grounds. Dads hang out every Thursday night. Email Daniel J. Marcello to learn more. Jay, all right. What is your middle name? Lee. Daniel <laughs> G. Marcello to learn You're only more. like two letters off. I was actually surprisingly close. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, trivia quizzes in your middle name to podcast. I was going to say to Daniel J. Marcello. To Daniel J. Marcello at BloomingdaleChurch.org. <laughs> it will get returned to you. To <laughs> podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org for our closing segment this week. It's time for bets. Day camp is back. So our question today is very simple. How many kids will be in attendance on the first day of day camp? As many as we put chairs hopefully, out for. Hopefully not more than 220. Um, <laughs> you've all got your phones on you, and I only have one pen, so I guess the way we'll we do texting this you? is you go ahead and text me your answers. Uh, Morgan says that we are already at our registration limit or near our registration limit. Yeah. Uh, so we know it will be quite a few, but there are always a bunch of kids who sign up the day of. Now, to be fair, does anyone know how many have been registered so far? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. I think all of us. Okay. 175. 175? Cool. Well, then, now cool. that we're all on the same page. I just texted you. Perfect. Um, how many kids will be in attendance on the first day? And as a tiebreaker, how many volunteers will be present on day one? Uh, and that is not registered, but Gosh, actually show up. <laughs> um, let's get started with Dan. Dan, how many kids? 237. 237 Whoa. kids. And uh, how many uh, volunteers? 41. And 41 volunteers. Uh, Scott? I said 195 kids. 195 kids. And 30 volunteers. And 30 volunteers. Bill? Okay, I said 150 kids. 150 kids. And 60 volunteers. <laughs> and 60 volunteers. I said 248 kids and 44 volunteers. Well, we were pretty cool. So yeah, I have the high there. end. If, if there's more than 244 or more than, uh, or if 248 and more than 44. No, uh, Bill. Oh, right, because that's I'm in luck. the tiebreaker. So, yes, yeah, so that's the tiebreaker. So, once again, it is uh, in order from bottom to top. Uh, Bill with 150, Scott with 195, Dan with 237, me with 248. And this is for day one. Now, day admittedly, one. I think it gets bigger as the week goes on. but I Traditionally, yeah. I am fully confident that we'll hit the 250 mark. Because the goal is that the kids invite Here's their friends. Here's the thing, is that we can't fit 248 kids in the sanctuary. Well, that's, that's for fact, marketing actually, to figure out. Including the volunteers, we can't fit 100 and 
75 kids. It's going to be That's for sales to figure out. <laughs> that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Thank you Max. Max. Scott, stop yawning and take <laughs> us home. <laughs> you have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church podcast yeah. last week before the Bloomingdale Church Burger Review <laughs> brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. <laughs> You look great today, bro. Did you just pull? get back from a run? Or? Well, I was going to pass off flyers, so I wore shorts. And uh, so did I. I thought that's what we were so going to do. And then, yeah. We're all in shorts. Well, Good for us. It's 88 shorts, degrees shorts outside. Podcast. We could go. Welcome to the Bloomingdale Shorts Podcast. I think today's going to be a really shorts episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Dan? You have something to well announce? Well done. You have something to announce there, dad joke? <laughs> So are you saying we're not going to do Steak and Shake for the burger reviews? I think we might be there till we're dead. <laughs> I have never had Steak and Shake bring me food quickly. No. It's not possible. Ever. And they're cheap. It's not possible. I like Steak and Shake. They're sure. cheap. They're very cheap. But And they got rid of the free fries. Oh, is it over? It's over. I went and I was like, could I get them? Because I like the two-for-one milkshake. I don't like that. I can't eat or drink the milkshakes, but my family does. Yeah. Two-for-one mm. between 2 to 5 p.m. on weekdays. Wow. Yeah. And then the free fries along with it. I'd eat some of the fries and... They would drink the milkshakes. I'm like, all right, this is for like three fifty, not bad. Yeah. Can I have the free fries? Oh, it's over. No, like, that's not what I asked. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but your signage is still up. No, it wasn't. I no, just, no, it's, <laughs> it's on Route three fifty five. Let's not do steak and shake forever. Okay. Well, you guys got to decide where we're gonna go for burger review. But I think that's gonna Let's be, go to Barcelona. We still need to figure out how we're gonna do it. <laughs> I, I I could figure all that out. Hmm. I, we just need to know how is it well, when I say how, what? I mean like how we're going to eat it. I assume we'll cut it into fourths like Dan well, suggested. But Dan can't have cheese or onions. Well, we're not going to have cheese or onions. Though. Well, how are we going to do an honest burger review if none of the burgers have cheese? I don't get cheese on every burger. All right. I virtually always get cheese well, on Well, that seems like a personal problem. Well, I'm just, it's not going to be an honest review. I think Dan's got an answer, though. <laughs> no, stay out of this. <laughs> this doesn't concern you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we I can bring is... a piece of cheese and put it on your burger for you. <laughs>